morning. Should I say shalom? Shalom is a Hebrew word often used as a greeting. And uh, in case you're a guest here, we don't always say shalom. You didn't step into anything too freaky, you know. But uh, uh, I bring up shalom because it's really an interesting word. It's, uh, it occurs several times in the Bible, over 250 times. In fact, that's quite a bit. And uh, you might know shalom means peace. Uh, so when I say shalom to you, it's just a, a greeting that basically means uh, peace be with you, something like that. But, uh, and that's how it's often used as, as a greeting in parts of the world. Uh, uh, but it doesn't just mean peace, and a really interesting word. Um, my Hebrew dictionary, in fact, has eight pages of definitions for the word shalom. It's a pretty fascinating word, really rich with a lot of nuance. Uh, some of the definitions are peace, but also it means uh, wholeness, wholeness. So like... Uh, when something's put together, put together just right, it has shalom. Uh, something is the way it's supposed to be, that's shalom. Things are at peace, they're right. Uh, there, there's nothing broken, there's nothing out of order, that's shalom. Uh, perhaps the best definition that I came across is this one. Shalom is the result of God's activity. Uh, the result of God's activity, what does that mean? That means that wherever God is at work... He's bringing shalom. Uh, He's bringing uh, peace and wholeness to the world. We could say that shalom happens whenever God is at work. Shalom is the result of God's activity. So if that's a definition, then shalom takes on a lot bigger meaning than simply peace, right? It it encompasses a lot more. It's it's peace, but it's also elements of, of justice and love and mercy and hope. All of these things are the result of God's activity. They're all facets of what God wants to bring to the world. And now you might say, well, hey, I mean, God's everywhere. He's at work everywhere. We don't see evidence of these things everywhere. There's not peace everywhere and not on a global scale. I mean, there's war, there's devastation, uh, but even on a personal scale, there's people in this room that do not have peace. There's, they're hurting. There's circumstances beyond our control that, that steal peace from us. So how can we say that, that peace, that shalom, is the result of God's activity? I mean, if God's at work all over, how come there's not shalom all over? That's a complicated question, really more complicated than we'll, we'll fully answer today. But the, the short answer is the fact that there are forces at work against God, against shalom, the forces of evil that are opposed to shalom. You could say that, that sin and evil are, are the opposite of shalom. Instead of peace, they bring strife, they bring chaos. But God's plan is to bring shalom to the whole world, to bring peace and wholeness to every single person, every institution in the world through the Lord Jesus. This morning we're wrapping up our series, Viral, and uh, throughout this series we've been talking about ways that we can bring the message of Jesus, the the ultimate message of God's shalom, into the real world. Uh, How we can uh, talk to people, how we can interact with people, how we can help people come to know and understand the truth about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us and for the whole world. Jesus is the ultimate example of God's shalom. He came to bring peace to the world, uh, peace to uh, uh, the world uh, reconciling us to God. Our hearts and our actions were opposed to God, opposed to shalom. But through Jesus, we have peace 
with God. And throughout this series, we've been focused on, on finding simple ways, helpful ways to bring the message of Jesus, the shalom message, if you will, to the people that God has put in our path. And one of the things that I want us to talk about today is just to figure out how evangelism, how, how sharing the message of God's shalom fits in with all the other things that uh, that God wants us to do. I mean, if we're taking the Christian life seriously, there's a lot of expectations, you know, and thank God he accepts us even if we don't fulfill those things. But if we want to live in a way that honors God, there's several things that we want to be prioritizing in our lives. We've got to hold these things uh, together, and evangelism is one of those things. Uh, but how does it fit in with the other things that are really important? That's what I want us to talk about today. And to help us answer that question, the first thing we need to do is figure out, okay, what are the important pieces? What things should we be focused on as a church, as individuals? Once we figure that out, then we can understand where evangelism fits in these lists of priorities. So figuring out what the priority is, that's the first step. And to do that, we're going to look at the Bible. Seems like a good idea to me, right? In particular, we're going to look at a passage that's a, a description of the very earliest church. If you were here this summer, our series Wildfire, we looked at the book of Acts. Uh, we learned a lot of things from the early church, lessons and examples of things that were priorities to them. And I want us to revisit one of those passages that we looked at this summer because I think it still has some things to teach us. And the passage we're going to look at is at the end of Acts chapter 2. So uh, just to give us some context while we're finding that passage in your Bible, uh, this is the very beginning of the church, the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has died, he's been raised from the dead, and he spends some time teaching his disciples, giving them instructions about what to do next, basically telling them how to live in a way that brings God's shalom into the world. And he tells them specifically that the first thing they got to do is, is be focused on the Holy Spirit. He says, don't do anything yet. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And so they do. They gather in a room. They're devoted to prayer. And then just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit comes. And, and when he comes, it's pretty unmistakable. There's no question, yeah, the Holy Spirit came. Check that off the list of to-dos. You know, it's, it's, you can read all about it at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. But, but this passage that we're going to look at here in just a moment, it comes right after that. And the passage that we look at is, is kind of a, a summary uh, a summary of, of what's happened in the book of Acts and, and what's coming next, uh, the beginning of the church with, with this Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And it's something that, that Luke, the author of Acts, does several times, just uh, little summary statements like this one, summaries that kind of boil things down to the most important pieces. And in this particular paragraph, we see the things that this newly formed church was focused on. What are their priorities? And now we looked at the passage again this summer during our wildfire series, but I want us to see it again because it helps us make sense of evangelism, where evangelism fits with the other things that we should be focused on. So uh, let's take a look. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done with, by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in this passage, uh, we see several things that the church was devoted to. Right in verse 42, we see this, this list of things they're devoted to. Uh, teaching, 
fellowship. The passage goes on to talk about some of the things that this early church did. What kinds of things consumed their time, consumed their attention? What was their focus? And the first thing to notice about this passage is just a simple observation. It's a description. It's not a prescription. Meaning it it, it describes the early church, and yet it's not a list of commands, not a list of what every church all over the world needs to do. It's simply a description of what the early church was focused on. Now, I think we can learn a lot from this description, from this example, but I think it's a little dangerous to just grab this one passage and decide this is the way every church everywhere must be. I mean, for example, look at verse 45. It says, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. You know, if we tried to start that up, I think we'd have a lot less people here. That's all I'm saying. I mean, a great idea for them, maybe not such a great idea for us. The centuries of of bad examples of socialism would kind of prevent this idea from taking off in the right kind of ways today. So so all that to say, this is a description. It's not a prescription. I, I think it's really fascinating that God creates the church and then leaves us with freedom about how to organize it, how to run it. Each generation, each culture gets to do the hard work of, of searching the scriptures and creating churches that are aligned with God's word, aligned with the priorities and the purpose of the church, but, but free to, to speak to and be relevant within uh, their own different cultures. And so we can learn a lot from this passage, but we have to do the hard work of figuring out how all these pieces fit together in our lives and in our church today. Uh, How do we fit these priorities together? Or or more to the point, where does evangelism fit in this list of priorities? Sharing our faith, where does it fit in our lives? And to answer that question, I want us to turn to my wife. Uh, Not literally, but uh, I want to share something that comes from my wife. Let me explain. Uh, In my Bible, uh, right next to this passage, there's a little note, a handwritten note. I'm sure you can't see it from there, but uh, right next to this paragraph is a handwritten word that was written by my wife. I recognize her handwriting, and I'm I'm pretty sure I remember the sermon that uh, we were listening to when she wrote this down. And the note just says one word. It says, wife. Wife, W-I-F-E. Why would my wife write the word wife in my Bible next to this passage? Uh, it could be a reminder to pray for her. She is in the habit of leaving me little notes. Uh, it's possible. In fact, I'll tell you, total rabbit trail right here. Um, the other evening, she had a meeting here, and she was meeting in my office. And, and so at the end of the meeting, she left me a little note on my whiteboard uh, so that I would see it when I got back to the office the next day. She likes to do that, kind of flirty little notes. And so she wrote on the whiteboard, she wrote, hey, sexy. Uh, you know, assuming that I would find that the next morning, right? Well, I did find it eventually after I'd met with two or three people who I'm sure saw it and just were kind enough not to say anything about it. So, got a little laugh out of that. But, but this note in my Bible is not like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's different from that. Uh, she didn't write it in order to get me to think of her. She wrote it because it helps identify these priorities. Uh, these things listed in the paragraph that we just read are WIFE. WIFE is an acronym. It stands for these four priorities that are present in this descriptive paragraph. The four priorities are worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. Those are, are four things that every church should be focused on, and they're, they're four elements that we see in this description of the early church. Look at the passage with me one more time, and let's notice these priorities. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's instruction, right? They're devoted to fellowship, breaking of bread, praying together. Uh, Verse 46 tells us they met every day at the temple. That's the place of worship in Jerusalem. So so worship is a daily priority for them. And and notice the last verse. Verse 47 says, uh, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here we see that final area of emphasis, evangelism. The members of the early church are sharing with others the good news of Jesus and people are responding. And so you put those four priorities, those four areas of focus together and we get this acronym, WIFE, W-I-F-E, Worship, Instruction, Fellowship, Evangelism. So I don't know what clever pastor first thought of that, but somebody that my wife and I listened to many years ago preached it and my wife wrote it down and and now you got it today. So, So we've identified these priorities. That's step one. But we got more things to, to go. We've got to still figure out how do we put these priorities together. And it's worth saying again, these priorities in the Bible, they're a, a description. Uh, there's not one clear way to put them together. Each church has to decide how do you emphasize these things? How do you put these priorities together? And there's a lot of different churches uh, who put them together in different ways. Every church, either on purpose or subconsciously, has to, to elevate one of these priorities and sort of organize everything else around that. So one of these four is going to take center stage, and the other three priorities uh, flow out of that. Let me explain. Uh, for example, there's a lot of churches that make worship a priority, that main priority. Churches that, uh, that put their primary focus on that and every other piece flows out of that. So churches that spend a great deal of energy on worship and their worship services are probably uh, long and loud and big. Uh, maybe they got musicians that are famous, folks you hear on the radio, that sort of thing, you know. I was talking to Mark Bauman a while back. He's one of our leaders here, and he took a business trip to Australia a while back. And, and while he was there, he decided he'd visit a, a Hillsong church service. Maybe you've heard of Hillsong, but they're a church that's organized their priorities around worship, right? They create a lot of worship songs. You, we've sung them here. Uh, they put a lot of time and energy and resource into worship. Now, doesn't mean they're not concerned about these other priorities. There's still instruction at a Hillsong church. There's still fellowship and evangelism. But for them, they put worship at the top of the list and everything else kind of uh, centered around that. So, so the way evangelism might fit in that kind of a church would be uh, that the music, that the worship music is its own draw. You know, it's contemporary, appealing music that would kind of draw a person in. And once they're there, they hear the message of Jesus and respond uh, For example, Hillsong Church, they made a a movie, like a feature movie. Uh, I haven't seen it. It's like a documentary, but kind of centered around their worship. I can imagine it has kind of an evangelistic purpose. You know, you see the movie, you hear the music, you're curious to know more, you go to church, that kind of a thing. So that's, that's one way to do church, just centered around worship. You may have your own opinions about that kind of church, but again, I think it's worth saying one more time, Jesus doesn't give us a firm formula for how to do church. He gives us the priorities, and he gives us the freedom of how to put those together. <clears throat> now, there's other churches that uh, 
Prioritize things differently. You know, some churches might put fellowship at the top, might organize the other three priorities around fellowship. They focus on really being together, being united as a family, you know. They focus on relationships, and so the instruction, the worship, the evangelism kind of flow out of that. And so you're probably not going to find like a big, famous, 3,000-person church organized around fellowship. It's probably going to be like a smaller churches. They make fellowship a priority. Everything flows out of that. So, so evangelism and that kind of church might just be relationship-based, just meeting other people, inviting them into the fellowship, having meals together, that sort of a thing. There's a lot of churches that are focused on instruction. They're focused on, on making disciples through instruction. All the other elements flow out of that. In fact, right now, we're prioritizing instruction, using that instruction to make a priority out of evangelism. It's very meta. But in many churches, instruction is the main priority, right? Uh, And evangelism flows out of that. So you might hear a sermon about evangelism. You might have instructions about how to share your faith with people in in ways that aren't creepy. Uh, You might have classes that teach about can the Bible be trusted? Spoiler alert, it can. All those are ways evangelism might happen in a church where instructions prioritize over the other three. So these are all just potential ways of organizing church, making these priorities fit together. They all have strengths and weaknesses. I don't want to necessarily debate the validity of one over the other of these models. What I want to do is just revisit that original question that we started with. Where does evangelism fit? And now we've, we've answered the question of what are the priorities. We've identified these four, W-I-F-E, and now we see that there's different ways that we could put these priorities together. So we got to ask that question, where does evangelism fit? Or maybe another way to ask the question is this. What might be gained if we accomplish those first three priorities, worship, instruction, fellowship, around the fourth, evangelism? Because I think if we can start to think about evangelism in this way, we can start to get a little bit closer to the heart of God. I think letting evangelism take a central place gets to the heart of of shalom, the result of God's activity. So if we prioritize evangelism, we bring something of the heart of God to the world. We bring God's shalom to the world. And to help us understand what that looks like, I want us to look at a couple of passages, passages where Jesus himself is guiding us to make evangelism a priority in our lives. The first passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, You might be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in this sermon, Jesus is giving instructions. But what he's really doing is painting a picture of what he wants the world to look like. He's painting a picture of what the kingdom will be like. So it's really a sermon all about priorities. And there's one fairly well-known statement Jesus makes in this sermon I want us to notice. I want to see it with fresh eyes this morning because I think it reveals a little bit about what, what, what things might look like if we prioritize evangelism. So look with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You'll see it on the screens. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is a familiar passage to many people. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. Those of us who are his followers, followers of Jesus, we are light. And notice what the light is supposed to accomplish. It's supposed to be positioned so as to give light to everyone. 
We're supposed to share that light with others. Jesus says that almost exactly, verse 16. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So in this passage, Christians are compared to light, light that's for the whole world. Our role is to light up the world, to give light to everyone. Our role is to drive away darkness. You could say we bring the shalom of light to a dark world. At my house, we've got a new puppy, and uh, even though the puppy belongs to my daughter, somehow I got the job of waking up in the middle of the night with the puppy so he can do his business, you know, that's the dad life right there. But, uh, but the past few nights, getting outside at 3 in the morning has actually been a little pleasant. It's pleasant because the moon's been so bright, you know, it's much brighter than normal, kind of at the peak of, of full moon, and normally dark night is made just a little bit lighter, a little less dreary because so much light from the moon. Of course, the moon doesn't produce its own light, right? It simply reflects the light of the sun. Well, that's the same role that we have as Christians, bringing the light of God into the world, reflecting him, making the darkness of the world just a little less dark by bringing God's light, God's shalom into the world. We are the light of the world. So this passage, this sermon from Jesus, shows us a bit about what the world can look like if we prioritize evangelism. Look at the end of the passage again, verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Evangelism comes first in a statement by Jesus, and from that evangelism flows worship, praising the Father. Making evangelism a priority results in praise to God. Here's another example of a passage where evangelism is prioritized. also comes from Jesus Also in the book of Matthew, just flip a couple of pages ahead, Matthew 10, verse 7. In this passage, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples. He's he's sending them out without him, sending them out to go and evangelize, and he tells them this. He says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is a very simple instructions that Jesus gives them. And if I were a disciple being sent out, I'd probably have questions, you know, like, what do I say if people have a follow-up question, that kind of a thing. But this is the message that Jesus tells them, a simple message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's a simple message because what's at the heart of it is shalom, Jesus' message of shalom, that same idea of bringing God's activity into the world, bringing light where there's darkness. That's what it means to bring the kingdom into the world, bringing God's own rule, God's reign into a situation, the peace, the justice that only God can provide coming into the world. And of course, ultimately what happens is Jesus himself comes into the world. He's the embodiment of the kingdom. He's God in the flesh, the ultimate example of shalom, wholeness. But for us as Christians, we're called to to represent him in the world. Paul the Apostle, he says, our role is ambassadors for Christ, representing his kingdom in this world. So as we apply this message, as we try to live viral lives, there's a few things we need to do, a few things that will help make evangelism that top priority for us, to make it the center of our lives. We want it to influence all the other things we do. In order to live like that, in order to be viral, we've got to focus on a couple of things. 
One of the things we've talked about already in this series is simply being a blessing to other people, living in a way that blesses other people, going out of our way to show God's love to others. And we could spend a lot of time today talking about examples of this or brainstorming ways to be a blessing to others, but let me just simplify the idea in the same way that Jesus simplifies it. Do for other people the kind of things that you would want somebody to do for you, right? Uh, be a blessing to other people in the same way that you'd like to be blessed. It's, it's that easy, right? One of the other things we've talked about in this series is sharing meals with people. Eating and drinking is a great way to represent God and his hospitality to the world. I want to challenge each of us, make this a thing in your life. Invite somebody to eat with you. Take them out. Just go for it. But these things, these things we've talked about, they're so simple. They're just baby steps, really. Steps on that journey to a a viral life. But beyond these baby steps, we want to make viral living a priority for us. We want it to be a critical part of our lives. I love the way the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God with you, but our very lives as well. That's a model for us, being willing not only to to share the gospel, not only to spread the message, but to share our lives, making evangelism that priority in our life. That's going to look different for each of us. That's why your sermon notes just have some blank space here. You got to do the hard work filling in thoughts for your own life. But let me give us a couple of things to think about. First, let's remember this idea of shalom, bringing peace and wholeness to the world. Where can you bring shalom? What are you doing to bring God's peace to the people around you? Not just conversations, not just eating meals together, but in every aspect of life. I'm reminded of a passage from the Old Testament, uh, a passage where shalom plays a prominent role. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he's teaching people who've been exiled. They've been kicked out of, of Israel, forced to live in a foreign land, and they're trying to make sense of how to live in exile. And Jeremiah shares with them some instructions from the Lord. This is what he tells God's people. He says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too can have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So his advice to these people, they're strangers in a strange land. He says, settle in, become part of the community. More than that, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Seek shalom. And understand, that's not something they're just tacking on to their lives. It's something that's all-consuming. It's the one priority that they're building their lives around. They're building houses. They're marrying off their children. They're having grandchildren. Their whole lives are devoted to making things better in the place that God has them, bringing shalom. Well, that should be our focus, too. Make the shalom of God our primary focus. Everything else flows out of that. As we wrap up, uh, let me give us one more way to think about it. One more way to think about how we shape our lives around sharing God's message. Uh, Are you the kind of person who enjoys watching the trailers for upcoming movies? You know, maybe you go to the theater early, especially to watch the trailers on the big screen, you know. And, well, trailers, they're just 
appetizers, right? Short versions of this soon-to-be-released feature film, and, and depending on the film, they include the best special effects or, or the funniest scenes or the most romantic parts of the movie that's coming. Now, next time you go to the movies, with, watch people around you in the theater at the end of each trailer, and if that trailer has done its job, people will say, oh, man, I want to go see that movie, right? Well, this is a great metaphor for the church, for you and I. If we do our job well, if we prioritize things the right way, if we organize our life around sharing Jesus, people are going to say, I want to see the world that they come from. I've mentioned a few times over the series, even though not all of us are, are gifted evangelists, we all still need to take seriously our calling to share Jesus with other people, to our whole lives being questionable, we've said. We've got to bring God's message to the world, and it's a message that's communicated with our whole lives, every aspect. Think about God's rule, the, the kingdom of heaven, God's shalom as the, the main feature, a, a, a massive, glorious, blockbuster movie. Well, our lives are the trailers, giving people just a taste of the real thing, leaving them wanting more. Let's pray. God, we love you. We worship you. We want to be devoted to you and the things that are priorities to you. And I pray that you would help us to not just tack evangelism on as as one of many things that we want to be focused on, but help us organize our lives around sharing the good news of what you've done for us, Lord. We know that we are recipients of grace. We don't deserve the things that you've given us, and we want to be passing those things on in a way that, uh, that leaves people wanting more and points people to you. Pray that you would give us the ability to do that well, Lord. As a church, as individuals, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.